0: trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles hunting podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and I can't believe that 2024 marks 10 years of podcasting. Over the last decade, I have had the pleasure of talking with hundreds upon hundreds of passionate outdoors men and women who share the same excitement for hunting as I do. Whether you hunt public lands or private property, shoot traditional archery equipment or high powered rifles, we all have one thing in common, and that's our love for the great outdoors. This year, I plan on continuing that tradition and bringing educational and entertaining content to your ears. Thank you for your continued support, and I hope you all have the best seasons of your life. Good vibes in, good vibes out. what's up everybody welcome to another episode of the nine finger chronicles podcast as we continue this no foreplay series and we're getting right into it today with troy pottinger now if you don't know troy troy hunts pressured deer herds right whether that's human pressure whether that's apex predator pressure like grizzly bears wolves mountain lions bobcats he hunts in that that environment out in northern idaho and he runs into really good deer every single year but he's got a certain way of doing it because of the pressure that he ends up running into every year whether that's human pressure or predator pressure and so I thought it would it would be really interesting for him to come on and talk about his experience hunting pressured whitetails in that environment and then comparing it to some of the other environments that he hunts in most recently Ohio of how he attacks the pressured, I guess you would call it, mature whitetails who have been pressured or have consistent amounts of pressure put on them throughout a, a given year, and so it's a real quick to the point episode, like all of these foreplay episodes are, no foreplay episodes are, and so uh, I just want to say thank you for taking time out of your day to hop on and uh, listen. If if you could, if you guys could do me a favor, go and. Uh, And leave me a five-star review on iTunes, on uh, Spotify, wherever you download. Let everybody know that this is a badass podcast. Um, And then also make sure you guys are following the Nine Finger Chronicles and uh, Sportsman's Empire and Full Sneak Gear on the social media platforms as well. So I'd really appreciate that. Before we get into today's episode, though, we're going to do a a quick commercial break it's going to be real quick no foreplay style and that is if you're looking for a a saddle or saddle hunting accessories go check out tethered Uh, they have some new gear that has just launched via the ata show so go check out that wasparchery.com if you're looking for in my opinion uh one of the best broadheads on the market go check out wasparchery.com discount codes nfc20 for 20 percent off and uh Most of their heads are made in america vortex optics that's a no-brainer right Uh, by now if you're in the hunting space and you follow hunting content you should know about vortex optics and how superior they are compared to a lot of the other brands on the market Uh, vortexoptics.com go take a look at that Uh, code blue sense uh, these guys have scent free sprays. They have real and synthetic deer urine. They have uh, the Ropadope preorbital gland system that I'm a huge fan of. They also have a discount code NFC20 for 20% off. Uh, CodeBlueSense.com. The Woodman's Pal. If you're looking for a very durable, very tough, very well built habitat tool, it's similar to a machete chopping branches chopping weeds uh hacking dirt and rocks and you know whatever the case may be uh, this tool is perfect for your truck or your pack so go check out woodmanspal.com and then next on the list is huntworth in my opinion huntworth has some of if not the best layering systems a layering system for hunting camel hunting clothing on the market and it's more affordable than what i guess you if you're going to compare it to the elite brands so go check out huntworthgear.com uh, check out all of these brands uh, and if you do, do decide to buy let them know that uh, you heard this commercial and that way, they can justify continuing to spend money on me. So I really appreciate that. Uh, Tethered Wasp, Vortex, Code Blue, Woodman's Pal, Huntworth. Of course, my new brand, FullSneakGear.com. Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast. And last but not least, well, there is no last but not least. I do that at the end. Anyway, let's get into today's no foreplay episode with Troy Pottinger. Three... Two, one. All right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of No Foreplay. And today I'm joined by Troy Pottinger. And I wanted to bring him on today to talk about deer behavior because he has he hunts in some different environments. In the course of his career, his hunting career, he has hunted a whole bunch of different environments for whitetail deer. And so I want to kick off a very high level question. For you, Troy, and that is: are there are there any similarities in deer behavior in all of the environments that you've hunted? Do they do do they always do a certain thing, or do they not always do a certain thing? I'll I'll let you take it from here.
1: Yes, Dan, to answer your question, I I think the key denominator is pressure. So. I've hunted all over. And of course, for your listeners, I live in the Northwest, so I hunt Idaho, Washington public land every year. But I just got back from Ohio. And a good example of that key denominator of pressure was when we went to Ohio, Ty and I, my boy, we were able to hunt some private pieces that didn't hardly have any pressure at all. But as soon as I got on the private pieces that had a ton of pressure earlier this year, I saw extremely close similarities in the older, mature buck behavior that I see out west. I've seen a lot of the same similarities in those older bucks that have been highly pressured, yes.
0: Okay, so you're saying that the key indicator in deer behavior is the amount of pressure that is on that herd.
1: If I had to pick one denominator overall that yep. trumps everything, if I had to pick one, and there's multiple, yep. and I'm not saying it's the only one, right? but if I had to pick the one that trumps everything, I would say the amount of pressure that's been put on a buck, especially a buck that's been around for several years, I think that is the key, is the amount of pressure he gets, yes.
0: Yeah. Uh, I can't help but agree with that. Now, when it comes to... Let's just get into this pressure thing a little bit. And let's say um, you got your eyes on a deer and now there now there is some pressure applied to this buck. What is the result of the pressure? How does their behavior change?
1: Well, I just think they become much more calculated in their movements. They learn, especially older deer, through years of stimulus response, negative stimulus, positive stimulus response to it, they learn over these years when they get a negative stimulus that has either scared them or spooked them or put them in danger in the past, they learn to gravitate away from that immediately and go where they feel the safest.
0: Okay. Now, I have heard uh, other guys in the past, and I have seen this uh, not a lot but a little bit, in, in my career, and I want to hear your thoughts on this, is when a, when a specific, maybe a group of deer, or let's say you're going into a bedding area, you're going into an area where not just a mature buck lives, but a group of deer live. Not an entire herd, but just like a small, maybe a doe group or something like that. And there's some pressure. They don't leave. They just sit tight until dark, and then they apply, they go through the same pattern or the same pattern of movement just nocturnally. Is that something that you have witnessed as well?
1: 100%, yes. I witnessed it on this trip in Ohio over a 10-day period when, they, when the pressure is applied, the oldest does and the smartest, oldest, and I'll just, the big bucks that get targeted, like guys are trying to kill them because of their headgear, which were a couple deer I got on and was really working hard to kill one of them. They just were very nocturnal in their movements. And I had to dive in pretty deep to even get in the game with the one I wanted to kill on the last two days. And it literally just ran out of time, in my opinion. I, I got him figured out, and I had him at 60, 70 yards on my last day in the daylight. I just needed another day or two. But what I learned from that whole week experience and I'm saying eight days in the woods straight of scouting my tail off and only hunting the evenings because of what pressure was doing to the deer I was trying to kill. And I had two deer picked out uh that I wanted to try to kill after five days, that pressure is was my biggest obstacle to overcome. Hundred percent. On their they were literally bedding and barely moving at all. Yeah. And I had to I had to get myself in a position where I could be in the daylight with the dude that I wanted to kill. Now, could I have killed younger bucks? Uh, Did we have other deer around the whole time? Yes. Uh, Even a less caliber buck that was older, that was in a less pressured piece of ground, uh, my buddy actually shot him yesterday after we gave him the GPS coordinates to him, uh, who was doing just as old a buck that I opted out of because I was after a different buck, he was doing more daylight stuff because he had less pressure on that piece of ground.
0: Okay. Now, once a deer becomes pressured, right, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, you you use some trail camera data to help you identify deer movement, correct?
1: Yeah, trail camera and a ton of glassing when we were in Ohio. A okay. ton of glassing.
0: All right. Now, yeah. d- is that same strategy applied to your mountain public land spots by where you live in Idaho?
1: More trail camera because the forests are so big and vast. You can't. The glass doesn't really do any right. justice for you.
0: Okay, all right. So, are you are you getting? Uh, I'll just cut to it. Do you do you have cell camera data where you can get accurate, accurate intel? When like we went it, to Ohio, initially. we did. Yeah. Okay.
1: When we went to Ohio, we had all cell cam data, but in the mountains, it's spotty. So I have to play the game of where I can get service and where I can't.
0: Gotcha. Okay. All right. So this is kind of leading me to my next question. and, And that is, how do you make your adjustments from a strategy standpoint once maybe you've pressured deer or you're going into an environment, you know, especially publicly and who knows who's stomping around there? How do you make your strategy changes once you've identified that deer have made an adjustment to their movement based off of pressure?
1: I always try to move with them or try to get a step ahead of them of where I believe they're going to move to where there's less pressure. Okay, A, A lot of that out in the West, yes.
0: Okay, all right. And
1: I try to pick them up, Dan at locations I believe they would move to. A lot of it's based on terrain. A lot of it's based on my scouting. A lot of it's just based on doing this for 30-plus years of where I think they might bail to. Yes. Yeah. I call them hideouts that they go to.
0: All right. So now this leads us to a a kind of a secondary question off of this this, uh, theme that we're running with today, deer behavior. What do... And where do big bucks go? Like, what do big bucks do and where do they go once they've been either bumped? Like, for me, I I have I, I kind of live and die by this theory I've made up where it's I call it a soft bump and then a hard bump. A hard bump is me walking into a bedding area. A buck is downwind of me. He smells me. He sees me. He hears me. He's gone. Right. And then we have a soft bump where I drive my truck up to the field edge and I check a trail camera and maybe I bump him out of his bed because he's close, but it's just a truck running. He's used to uh, farm equipment, things like that. And so that he rebounds back to a natural movement fairly quickly, if not same day. And so uh, I want to know what you feel or what you've witnessed in the past big bucks do and where they go once they've been pressured.
1: yeah and i think you do a really good job of breaking that down there is a soft bump and a hard bump for sure and kind of an in-between the big bucks that get hard bumped in my country it's either a wolf a lion or me Mm -hmm. screwing something up um or a predator midwest like in ohio the the hard bump would have been like day one ty and i did not care about hard bumping a bunch of deer off an 85 acre piece with a big ridge we got them out of their beds Um, But we still broke it down, oh, that they saw us, but they didn't smell us. Or they smelled us, but they didn't lay eyes on us. They definitely heard us on all of them. So we were taking all those factors of bumping into the equation. And in my opinion, when you bump up to that five-year-old age buck, everywhere I've been in my life, out of state, in state, doesn't matter, when you get to that five- and six-year-old deer that have so much veteran uh, experience under their belt, so to speak. Hard bumps on those deer in the big country, big West country out here, they might move two to three miles Mm -hmm. because they have the country. Dan, they have unlimited country to move in. Go to the Midwest or back in Ohio like we were, limited ground, limited big blocks of timber to move to. We saw those deer reload even on a hard bump more than we see out west Mm -hmm. they would reload might take them three or four days to get them back where we initially did a hard bump soft bumps we were on the e-bikes we purposely rode our e-bikes in and parked in the timber in in ohio uh kept our profile of our body down on the handlebars so they just think it's a chunk of farm equipment they don't think it's a human hiking in we noticed that those soft bumps hardly even affected the deer yeah when we did all those little things
0: yeah. Okay. And so in in Ohio, you don't have grizzly bears. You don't have wolves, all right? You don't have you're you're probably not dealing with I'm sure there are, but as many predators that you have up up there. Do you feel that the term pressure changes with the kind and amount of pressure because Here's here's what my gut is telling me, and I want you to tell maybe maybe you're right or wrong, you know. Uh, and there's a whole bunch of layers to this uh, to this onion that we that we could go through. But if a deer is used used to used to be being attacked by coy- or uh, grizzly bears or wolves or chased down by mountain lions, they it's almost like they have a backup plan where if something like all of a sudden a pack of wolves came through a farm in Iowa the deer had never seen them before they don't know how to react to them do you think that 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 there's certain types of pressure that is weighted more than other types of pressure
1: absolutely response stimulus to death near death experiences possibly weekly yeah especially in the winter versus Non near death experiences, maybe, or most of the time, and maybe one or two near death experiences the whole year for deer that don't have the apex predators. So, yes, okay, there are different, big time different layers and responses to extreme pressure. I've got bucks that literally get shredded by mountain lions across their chest and back and they get away, they get their ears bit off. Um, You can't tell me that that doesn't scare the living hell out of them. To the point where when I speak about these mountain deer and hunting them, when I say they're crackheads, they walk around their entire life on eggshells when they get older. yeah, Rarely do you catch them feeling it at ease. Rarely do yeah. you see them at ease. Jump to where I just came from in Ohio, the biggest threat to the big Ohio bucks, the two that I really wanted to try to kill, and the one that I was actually in the game with at the very end. The biggest threat to him is me, a hunter, possibly a bunch of coyotes if he was sick, and that would be it.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. Or a car, or yeah. getting hit by a car. Yeah, it, it's absolutely amazing the deer behavior on pressured versus non pressured. Or uh, the the third thing that we haven't talked about yet is conditioned deer. Okay. So like Mm -hmm. urban deer who are used to humans all the time and you can walk right up to them and, you know, in some of these environments or, uh, the, the one farm that I've been on is, uh, it's a big, highly, I've been on more than just one, but big, highly managed farm that is dedicated Mm -hmm. to deer hunting. They have food all over the place. It's active. So they're, they're farming it too. They're out planting food plots and doing hinge cutting and things like that. And deer are coming out at like three in the afternoon to, to eat and anywhere else in the world that does not happen at all. And, and so,
1: exactly. yeah.
0: And so it, it's just, it's funny how deer react to that behavior. Now let's, let's take a step outside of the hunting season for a bit. And and I'll bring up my experience, and then I'd like to hear yours. And that is in the summertime, right? I just tend to see more deer just out and about running around. They're less, they're they're less spooked for some reason. They don't get it spooked as much. And I, you know, I'm I'm talking about the Midwest. I'm talking about Iowa. Now, for some some the the leaves start falling off the tree. The velve, the velvet comes off, and now you see this this change in in their behavior do you witness that out west as well
1: i witness it only where mountains butt up against agriculture and people okay i will see that i will see that same type of scenario where deer let are a little more at ease okay but when i but dan as soon as i go to the big and i call it back country Mm -hmm. no ag no cities, no towns, 10, 20, 30 miles in, at least least 10 miles from a little town, Mm -hmm. maybe down on a river somewhere. When you get into the true backcountry, big mountain woods, whitetails that I hunt the most, uh, year-round, never see them on the hoof ever driving into the timber. Maybe I might see one mature buck every five years cross the road on me in a daylight situation Mm -hmm. in five years in the back country, like, like the kind of buck I'm looking for. Right. So it is heavily trail cam and scouting evidence for me reading the sign again. I mean, to me to this day, big tracks mean everything to me, even in a scraper in the snow. Yeah. So trail cameras and, and woodsmanship, In the big woods.
0: Yeah. Okay. What about other, what about does? Would you, are they, are they cagey too? Like, do they, are they still jumpy?
1: They're a pain in the ass. They're super cagey. They're super smart. And again, I'm talking the backcountry heavily predator areas. Those deer rarely even stand in a logging road for you to see them when you come around the corner. They're gone. When they hear that rig coming a mile away, they're already in the timber if they hear it coming. So you're around the heavy predator areas that I hunt. You rarely see a deer. Maybe once in a while a doe off the edge of the road, and she bails yeah. as soon as she sees your rig. Yeah, uh, Jump back to the agriculture slash mountain country, again, those deer are used to humans. They have less predators because there's more humans around. We still have the lions. We still have the occasional wolf coming through. Always have the bears. So they're different. They are different in that, my son and I always say it, the ag slash mountain bucks are a little easier to kill, in our opinion, and they're still hard, the old guys like that I target, mm-hmm. than the true backcountry heavily predator deer. Yeah.
0: Okay. Now, how does all of this then tie into your hunting strategy on, okay, I know these deer are being chased by apex predators all year round. How do you avoid becoming an apex predator and, and going into the woods to try to get within 25, 30 yards of these things?
1: I usually have to kill all of my bucks outside of a three-week window every year, which I don't necessarily kill a lot of deer in the heart of the rut because I single out a buck. Okay. So, Dan, I usually have to kill him and get on him within 100 to 200 yards of his bed. Okay. That's how I'm killing him. And then I play a game with him. I throw in my scrapes deer at him Mm -hmm. and his dna tells him even in the summer i gotta go check this and see what's going on in my area because they're very these old bucks too are very territorial in the big woods yeah and and what that has taught me dan and when i go to these other places i know that if i lived in an iowa or lived in an ohio or lived in an oklahoma uh, where i've hunted and really enjoyed it if i lived there and wasn't there just for five to eight days, um, I know that I could target, and I believe I would kill the best bucks that I had access to. Mm -hmm. I really do. Yeah. Because these mountain deer have taught me to be, I would say, so detailed and precise on my, how I go at them and how I attack them, entry, exit, finding them, everything. I hope that answers the question.
0: Right, right. One of the last questions I have for you is, how do you personally avoid being pressure on these deer
1: um that's a great question and i have to do it out here all the time to even have a shot yeah so my my entries my exits my invasions into their safe zone summertime archer season opens august 30th all of that has to be precise detailed with wind I like to use favorable weather conditions that help me. And if I screw it up at all, it's no different than a wolf or a lion bumping them, they move on me and they move a long ways. Uh, I really have to treat everything like I'm trying to kill him every time I go in, even if it's set in a trail camera. Yeah, I have to treat everything with precision.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Well, hey, we're done. That's quick, to the point uh and so troy man i really appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on and talk about pressure and deer behavior with us and uh, i look forward to chatting with you again man
1: all right uh thanks for having me dan